Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. You're listening to the Archaeology Show. TAS goes behind the headlines to bring you the real stories about archaeology and the history around us. Welcome to the podcast. Hello and welcome to the Archaeology Show, episode 221. On today's show, we talk about digesta, again, burials in Barcelona, and standing stones in France. Let's dig a little deeper, but stop when you get to the Roman layer. That's where all the cool stuff is. (laughs) All right, welcome to the show, everyone. How's it going? Pretty good. So, you may have noticed we missed an episode we for, did. Our, for our regular listeners. For those people listening to this several years from now that have no idea when we release episodes <laughs> and you hate it when podcasters talk about that. So do I, and I'm sorry about this. <laughs> but either way, lovely American Airlines lost our luggage, including our recording equipment for six days. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, that was very frustrating. There yeah. was a lot of phone calls and a lot of chats and the wrong thing still kept happening. Yes. <laughs> like, we just could not get them to listen to us. They sent it to the wrong city. Yeah. Even after telling them several times. Yeah. And they sent it to the wrong city, like, five days after we... They did. They, they lost the luggage to I know. With. We were about to drive, like, round trip eight hours just to get our bags because we didn't see another yeah. option. But then we finally talked to somebody who finally sorted it out, sent it to the right place, and we yeah. got our bags yesterday. So, here we are, back to recording. I know. We didn't have to buy anything. We didn't have to resort to eating our own stomach intestines <laughs> for nutrition, much like Paleo Man did and hunt, Old Hunters. Yeah. Right. And and that might be a familiar topic because we recently just talked about this. I guess it's like a, it's just a thing that's coming up a lot yeah. in the research these days. People are really starting to, to get into this idea. Yeah, they are. So the article we talked about a few episodes ago was referring to something called digesta, which is basically the the partially digested and partially, I guess, partially undigested or partially digested, however you want to look at it, like animal and plant matter, mostly plant matter usually, mm-hmm. that is inside the intestines of, well, I guess it would be plant matter. It is plant, yeah. Yeah, I was thinking humans. Yeah. We're not eating humans. No, we're no, eating, no, we're not eating large herbivores. Yeah. <laughs> and these large animals, they just eat all day long. Yeah. And their, their intestines take a long time for that stuff to just go through. Mm-hmm. And, and it's stomachs. just, I feel like it's like a constant, like, like, like semi-processed train. like log of grass. <laughs> that just keeps moving through, moving through, moving through. I'm just calling it <laughs> herbivore sushi. Oh, God, that's so gross. You just like cut it up, <laughs> pull a wasabi on it, and it's good to go. Oh, my God. Anyway, so we talked about that as being kind of a new thing that people are talking about, or at least new in the news and research cycles. And I only pulled this article out because I didn't really know what they were talking about until I read the article. Yeah. And then I started looking around, and it seems like... This is starting to gain a lot of traction with theories around pe- what people are having. Yeah, right? like so. how they were getting the vegetable component of their diet. Yeah. And it wasn't necessarily just straightforward, man go hunt, women go forage. And yeah. like that was that. It, it, this this bit of hunting could have actually contributed quite a bit of the vegetable or grass or whatever component of the diet yeah. of prehistoric people. Yeah. This particular article is from the conversation called Man the Hunter? Question mark. 
Archaeologists' assumptions about gender roles in past humans ignore an icky but potentially crucial part of original paleo diet. So Mm -hmm. go listen to the Digesta episode. Hopefully we can link to that. Yeah, we will link to it. And... So we're not going to really go over that again. Um, I mean, you're eating the intestines of animals that have vegetable food matter in them. Mm -hmm. Whether or not they were doing that on purpose or they just thought, you know what? I'm hungry Mm -hmm. and I'm going to eat that. Mm -hmm. I don't care what's going on. Mm -hmm. But anyway, the the big thing about this is that that I'm taking from this is we're really, really, really challenging some long held beliefs that are even partially from ethnographic evidence. Yeah. You know, which means people we can observe in the last couple hundred years that have been, you know, written down. But those people weren't necessarily like full-time hunter-gatherers, right? right? Uh, and some of them are, but, yeah. but a lot of them, you know, it's just, it's slightly different. They have some European contact, mm-hmm. you know, things are a little bit different. But when you go back into the past, this idea, like you said, that women are strictly doing this and men are strictly doing this should have been stupid anyway, because mm-hmm. nobody strictly does anything, Yeah, right? And I really, really liked one thing that this article author did, Their name is Raven Garvey, and they basically put in a disclaimer at the beginning of the article, which I really liked, which is, I'll just actually, I'll just read it. First, I want to note that this article uses women to describe people biologically equipped to experience pregnancy while recognizing that not all people who identify as women are so equipped and not all people so equipped identify as women. Right. So we have no way of knowing how people identified as far as male, female or not or something other back in the day. So we can purely look at what they were biologically capable of doing. And right. so that's what this person is doing in their article too. And I think it's really good to include that disclaimer because we know that gender is very fluid today and there's no reason to think that it wasn't fluid, you know, thousands of years ago, especially before we had like preconceived cultural notions that didn't really allow for gender fluidity. So that being said, we'll move on and talk about biological men and women and their roles. But I like that little disclaimer in the article. And so we're going to put it in our podcast, too. Well, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the other things I took out of this, too, is that they they wrote was the idea of hunter-gatherers in the way that they operate mm-hmm. came from the idea that 10,000 years ago, people were exclusively reliant on wild foods before domestication and agriculture. Mm-hmm. But I do want to point out. That just because agriculture was, quote, invented by, you know, several people around the world in different places, independently invented, first in what was called the Fertile Crescent, Iran, Iraq, that area, mm-hmm, the Middle mm-hmm. East, what we call that now, that's where we think agriculture first developed. But yep. it didn't necessarily spread out into other parts of the world. It did locally, for yeah. sure. But it didn't necessarily spread to, like, China or the mm-hmm. Americas. They it independently was independently yeah. developed. Yeah. But either way. Just because somebody discovers agriculture doesn't mean everybody's now farming. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that they wanted to. I, I think even if they saw well, somebody doing agriculture, if, if a group was happy and living the way they wanted to live, then there was no reason to change that, you know? So I, yeah. I expect there's probably some mixing going on. Yeah, there could have been. Anyway, I, I don't think we need to talk really too much about this article. The author really brings some good points about the, again, the difference between biologically male and females. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I do kind of want to mention that, too. You read that quote from the author about how they're basically identifying male and female mm-hmm. and, and what that means in the context of the article. Yeah. However, I will say that while we do not know how prehistoric peoples identified, you know, from mm-hmm. that standpoint, I'm not sure just in that time frame they like really would have comprehended or could have identified as something else. Maybe you know what not. I mean? Like we have a lot of, I guess cultural references nowadays, even for younger kids to see that, hey, 
you know, maybe these things that I'm feeling inside of me make me want to identify as something else, mm -hmm. right? Make, make me think that that's more my personality than this is, mm -hmm. you know, what, what people think I should have. But up back then, you were really like part of a small group and you had very defined ta tasks and activities that your group was doing throughout the day. They were almost always related to survival until they started living in bigger, bigger groups where they could start relaxing the survival ethic and just going into, you know, okay, well, I'm going to trade for what I need. Mm -hmm. And now I can start thinking about other stuff, which is where that more than likely would have been a, a bigger thing. Mm -hmm. Like, I have no doubt if you were to go back to like ancient Rome, there's definitely some people with some gender fluidity back in that time, just from the for writings. Sure. For sure. I do wonder if our strict view of biological male, biological female in today's society, if that was maybe a little bit more fluid in prehistoric times because it seems like they were societies where you just had to prove that you could be a contributing member of the group, right? Yeah. And maybe you were biologically female, but you didn't contribute to the group by having babies. Maybe you contributed by doing some other task and that was okay and you were accepted and part of the group right. and that was fine you know we I, don't know if they were accepted we don't know yeah. i just i think it, it what it is is in my head i like to think that that was a possibility because they didn't have all this cultural and religious and other stuff dragging them down the way that people do today and why it's such a fight for a trans person to be trans you know so well it, it could have been a possibility but yeah. i guess my point is back then is while women can hunt and do anything a man can, there's one thing a woman can do that a man just will never be able to do no yeah. matter what gender they think they are. Yeah. Right? I can identify as woman, but I'm not having a baby anytime soon. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. Like women have babies. Yeah. And women, while they weren't pregnant all the time, that's been blown out of the water, but they, I mean, one of their responsibilities was having babies. And yeah. Nobody else could do that. So if you're like, I don't want to have babies ever again, or maybe you couldn't have babies, that would be a thing. Mm -hmm. But either it would be the scene as the same thing, mm -hmm. right? In that society. I'm just saying, I I could see it. I could see your value to the society or the group being in some other way than just what you're biologically Obviously, capable of yeah. doing. And that would be, I like to, I like to think it was that way. We have no way of knowing. This no. is all pure speculation. And actually we're, I feel like we're like really getting away from what the article was even talking about. I mean, but maybe not I, though, because yeah. having this other source of nutrition did free them up. It, it, yeah. You know? Yeah. To get back to what they're talking about is having this digesta be part of your nutritional intake that you need in order to survive meant that maybe there weren't as many people foraging and they could do other things. So because yeah. they, they say that, you know, one of these big animals could, you know, help have like what something like 20, uh, a group of like 20 people survive on for like four or five days if that's all you ate. Yeah. Right. Which yeah. what else are you going to do? Yeah. What are, you doing, what are you doing the rest of that time and if you don't need to hunt or did, gather? Yeah. And didn't you say you there's a book you read where a hunter gatherer group would get some kind of big game and then they would just gorge themselves essentially and like and laze around for a few days. Right. Yeah, the whole village would basically eat the whole thing. Yeah. They had no real way to store it. Yeah. And it, it didn't matter if it was three o'clock in the morning. Like right. they were doing it. And then, you know, they didn't subscribe to your your usual you know, I'm going to be awake during the day and sleep at night kind of thing. Mm -hmm. They just did what they needed to do when they needed to do it. I right. mean, in general, people slept at night just because it's, you know, yeah, you, you can't can, see you and can't it's see. easier to do. <laughs> right. But either way, yeah, yeah um, that was the book I've talked about lots of times called yeah. Don't Sleep, There Are Snakes. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. So yeah. anyway, like I said, we don't need to really go into this. Take a look at the article. There's a lot of other stuff coming out. If you see any articles that are discussing the challenging stereotypes between 
biologically male and females and Mm -hmm. the hunter gatherer notion, Mm -hmm. it's more than likely related to this. Yeah, it's this is definitely a big part of the conversation. And you and I have talked about this a lot because it's really in a transition point right now, Mm -hmm. because in the last like few years, there's a lot of research coming out showing that the traditional roles for men and women, biological men and women are not necessarily what we previously thought and they're they're really rewriting that history it's kind of cool to like watch it happening right in front of your eyes you know yeah i I love that and i think that's why it's so interesting to me and why we have talked about it so much on this podcast too yeah well i mentioned the ancient romans hopefully people in the ancient roman societies were more accepting of this and they didn't just bury them under a street like the people we're going to talk about in the next article (laughs) back in a minute (laughs) that was terrible Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome back to episode 221 of the Archaeology Show. I'm enjoying a fine breakfast made <laughs> as we're recording this. <laughs> it's from a place called The Meeting Room in Arizona. Mm-hmm. And it is, I'll just, I'm just going to read this because it's very interesting. Made with coffee blossom honey, plus, uh, and that says single origin, locally roasted cold brew. It says, make breakfast better with this sweet little local collab. Sincerely yours, The Breakfast Club. I mean, I wouldn't say it's breakfast time for us right now. It is probably earlier in the day than we would normally drink mead, but mead it's historically. Time. It's brunch, right? Yeah, it's brunch. Yeah. Mead historically, you know, we should do an article on that because, I mean, people have drank mead at many times of the day all throughout history. Mm-hmm. And it's been a, a pretty significant, I guess, uh, I don't know about source of what it is, but uh, mm-hmm. just a significant component of people's. Mm-hmm. Again, I don't know if diet's even the right word, <laughs> but something that they partake yeah, of. Yeah, definitely. It's yeah. an old, old drink. It is indeed. All right. Also old is this article, not the article <laughs> itself, but what it's talking about. Right. This is from Newsweek, and it's I saw a number of these, so you know, find what you want. But the one we're linking to is from Newsweek, and it's mm-hmm. called Ancient Graves with 1,500-Year-Old Human Remains Found Below City Streets. Mm-hmm. This is another CRM project, but it's in Barcelona, Spain. It's Barcelona. Barcelona. Yeah, that's so dumb. I just, uh, you know, I've been learning Spanish and it's Mexican Spanish. And I just don't think they have that sort of pronunciation. No, that's very specific it's very to Spain Barcelona. No, Barcelona. it's Barcelona specific yeah. from what I understand. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, the original name of that city was Barcino. Barcino. Yeah, from the Romans. Mm-hmm. Uh, they named it that. Yeah. And I don't, it's B-A-R-C-I-N-O. So mm-hmm. maybe it's Barcino. I don't really know. I doubt it. You I know? think that <laughs> accent developed later on, but yeah. Oh, well. Anyway, <laughs> human remains found during the refurbishment of the street called Via Letana, one of the busiest streets in the city, mm-hmm. have been found. They found the remains of seven people from the Roman era. 
and two from the late antiquity period. There's, yes. So nine total, right? Nine total. Yeah. 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 So the Roman tombs are from the fourth and fifth centuries, they say. Mm-hmm. So 300s and 400s. Yeah. Yeah. And then those other two, uh, what they call late antiquity. And, you know, these these time periods are usually local, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. but late antiquity in this context means the sixth and seventh centuries. Gotcha. So that would be after the Romans. Yeah. In that sort of middle period before whoever moved in after that. Yeah. Him. Now, the Romans have been there quite some time by that point. Mm-hmm. They took over the area that is now known as Barcelona as early as about 2,000 years ago, mm-hmm. at least officially, uh, as far as the records are concerned. Yep. And they're constantly doing stuff like any big city would. They're constantly like ripping up streets and mm-hmm. rebuilding them and doing buildings. And like any European city, there's a lot of old stuff there. So every time they start disturbing the ground, much like in you know England, you mm-hmm. know, every time you hear some some story there in London or something, ripping something up and oh look at this, an old tomb, yeah. you know, an old church or something. They're doing the same thing in Barcelona. Yeah, I mean, in cities, they they do tend to just like build right on top of whatever was there previously, and mm-hmm. in particular burials because they're probably in the ground, right? That's where you put burials and you just put your structures right on top of it and there they are preserved for 1500 years in this case. So mm-hmm. it's actually kind of nice that they get preserved that way rather than sort of munched up into the construction. Yeah. Or, or in this case, they were going to be, but they excavated. So, yeah. Yeah. And when, when the Romans came in, I mean, I have, I have a feeling it probably wasn't all that bad ultimately because the Romans came in. Sure. They might have come in violently, but they're like, we're here now yeah. and there's not a whole lot you can do about it. <laughs> You're probably gonna have to learn our language yeah. uh, if you want to communicate, <laughs> but we're going to bring you roads. Yep. We're going to bring you water, sanitation. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. We're going to do all those things mm-hmm. and because that's what we want. Well, know? the Romans were so successful because they were often moving into areas that just didn't have like a really strong government or structure or whatever yeah. so it was pretty easy to just sort of bring them into the fold and mm-hmm. and that's another reason why the romans were so successful is they they weren't necessarily violent about it they just yeah. sort of like came in and were like hey here's like all this good stuff you're part of our empire now and i think a lot of people just went along with it yeah now despite the romans coming in and bringing all these advancements barcelona didn't actually become an advanced city until about 60 years ago when the formula one track was developed what really right outside town seriously what that's when barcelona be- Became an advanced city? Yes. Oh, you're making that up completely. (laughs) You are the worst. (laughs) Really? Yes, the modern metric in archaeology terms. I was thinking like Vegas. If if you have a Formula One track, like Las Vegas is not officially a big city until that Formula One track gets finished this year. Oh, my gosh. So. Well, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, there were people there when the Romans got there, obviously, Uh right? In the late first century, probably well before that, too, prehistorically. But like I said, the Romans came in and just took control. Mm -hmm. So the graves found during this last CRM effort, and they don't think they call it CRM, but either way, Mm -hmm. were from the side of the Via Laetana uh, in a plaza called Placa Antoni Mura. I don't mm-hmm. know if I'm pronouncing that right. Mm-hmm. Um, this is just beyond the line of the old Roman city wall. So they were kind of outside the city wall. Hmm. But they probably weren't surprised at all to find Roman era remains there, though, right? right? <laughs> they weren't. And that's because there was actually a tomb, a big tomb of a really important person yeah. near there already. Uh-huh. And I guess what was expected in for this time frame and maybe just the culture at the time is you could expect to be tombs to be found around that, uh, right? So you got this big tomb where somebody important was buried and then around that, I don't know, maybe other family members or people, mm-hmm. and I don't think they were in Egyptian style, like killed as sacrifices and then buried with them, mm-hmm. but it was probably just, 
you know, buried around them. Yeah. So you've got the one central one and then the ones around that. And people it makes always, sense to be outside the city. Yeah. And, and people like to be buried near important figures, I guess, especially back in that time. If so, they can. Yeah. So that makes yeah, sense. you can't just bury anybody there. Right. This excavation is in advance of uh, what they call a refurbishment that will see the installation of flower beds and trees. And Aww, I'm like, oh, that's, that's lovely. Nice. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're disturbing all these graves for that. That would never happen in this country. But did they say, are they, are they pulling the graves out and relocating them? Oh, yeah. Them? Everything's being pulled out. It's a CRM project. Yeah. Yeah. But are they relocating them to like a churchyard or something? Well, I or? don't think they're just going to dump them in the trash. Yeah. So they're probably being really relocated to somewhere. Mm. My guess would be a museum in this case. Oh, because maybe. Nobody. You know, unlike the United States, there isn't a current population of people that claims this ancestry mm-hmm. to graves that are that old. Right. They may actually be ancestral remains to some people that currently live in Barcelona. Why not? Yeah. You know, but it's a different cultural attitude towards that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. And there's usually not somebody voicing an opinion and saying yeah. something about that. I was just thinking, I know Native American graves have a very different direction that things go when they're excavating them in this country. Mm-hmm. But I was on a a cemetery excavation in New Jersey, which was just like a Baptist church or something like that. Mm -hmm. And the church was still there and still standing and still had a congregation. And so when we were excavating or when they, when this excavation began, the church and the CRM company and also the construction firm all got together and negotiated that any remains we found would be reinterred in a graveyard area associated with that church. I don't know if it was actually on those grounds or if it was somewhere nearby so that's why i was curious because they the church really got involved and was like look if you're going to dig up this property that has graves that we know belong to our past Mm -hmm. you know congregationists then you're going to reinter them someplace that we choose and they managed to negotiate that and again that's literally the exact same reason that native americans in this country basically have created laws and control the process where their ancestral remains are controlled Mm -hmm. the different the big difference being you know with a lot of historic remains I would say the non-Native American cultures of this country with the historic remains, unless there's somebody that's literally there of, of ancestral descent, like it's a great, great, great grandkid that knows that grave is there. They know something's coming they in. They're going to yeah. want their their ancestral remains taken care of, right? Yeah. Or if the church is still there in your case, yeah. you know, they're like, well, this is our congregation. We want something done with this. But yeah. if the church had been long gone yeah. and, and nobody there's nobody knew what was going to speak on, for the remains. Yeah, a good yeah. example of that is uh, an old cemetery in the University of Georgia at Athens campus. Mm-hmm. And for several years, and I don't know what's going on now because this was 20 years ago, well, 15 years ago. Yeah. But for several years, the shallow geophysics class of which I took was the last, last class I took in grad school mm-hmm. is over the summer and they were using different subsurface, uh, well, different non-invasive subsurface analytical techniques like ground penetrating radar, magnetometry, other Mm -hmm. stuff to basically map out this cemetery because it was so old that part of it that was on kind of a little hill that didn't used to be a hill, they cut in a road decades and decades ago. And the cemetery's up to several hundred years old, Mm -hmm. right? Because the campus is the oldest public university campus, I believe, in the country. That is not accurate. I think uh, the charter was granted to the University of North Carolina yeah. Chapel Hill before Athens. Listen, just because you applied for your but business license early doesn't we, mean you build a building. We can have that <laughs> argument another time. 
all my Chapel Hill people, please speak up now. <laughs> Send your notes to Chris and tell him he's wrong. Anyway, anyway go on. <laughs> anyway, the church is not there anymore. It's uh-huh. surrounded by university buildings. It's incredibly valuable property because they just want to put another building on it. Mm-hmm. And I'd imagine at some point, if it hasn't been done already, that cemetery is going to be gone. But there's nobody to fight it. Yeah. There's no you know? church left that it's associated with or anything. It's not that all, I'm aware of. all just gone. Yeah. 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 We're, we were just looking at it because a lot of the graves don't have headstones anymore, mm-hmm. but there's clear depressions. Oh, okay. Yeah. They're like, you know where the graves are when yeah. you look at them some, in some cases. Do like the students just like walking around campus know that that's what that is there? Is it labeled oh, can, in any way? There's upright headstones too. Oh, there are some. Yeah. Okay. So you yeah. know it's a it's a graveyard when yeah. you walk it's by. In, it's in kind of an area where I, I don't get, I, I get the impression not a lot of people actually mm. walk. It's kind of behind some other buildings. Yeah, yeah. It's not like in a central yeah. area. Mm-hmm. I didn't even know it was there until I took the class yeah. and I'd been on campus for a year. Hmm. So, but you know, like most campuses, I mean, you go to the three buildings you go to yeah, and you, you don't know. go anywhere else. <laughs> right. Totally. You know? So anyway, they found a lot of other stuff associated with this, including uh, walls from the Roman, medieval and modern periods. Mm -hmm. And they also found a well from the 18th and 19th centuries and some food preserved in silos from the 9th and 10th centuries. Okay, so there's a range of stuff going on. They really, truly just like piled on (laughs) as they built the city, right? Yeah, that's how it's going on. It's just... Yeah, that's how those ancient cities are. I always wonder, though, like you see these layers and you see that things are under these like we discussed. But how does that happen when something is continuously inhabited? Do you really just put a bunch of dirt on top of it? Like, that seems weird. Maybe. We don't do that now. No, we mo- well, because we need foundations to go all the way down below well, the we, surface. We build big buildings. Yeah, so you have to sort of dig out. But yeah. I, they were mostly just putting, like, well, up into a certain point, you know, they just would build right on the surface. So, yeah, you could just, like, mow it down. But how does something like that just get buried? Like, I'm wondering about this tomb and the other tombs around it that they found. Like, mm-hmm. people lived there. How did these things just get into such either disrepair that it was just covered and eventually nobody knew it was there mm-hmm. or they intentionally covered it, not wanting to deal with it, which is a possibility. Mm-hmm. But I just don't know if we have records about that kind of thing. So yeah, it's I don't always know. strange to me. It is. It, I know. I wish I could like see sort of the linear development of the layers of a city, you know, because how yeah. how does it go from having a graveyard to a structure to a different structure to maybe the structure is gone. You know, like what does that path look yeah. like? Yeah. Cause how does it happen? It's interesting. Well, either way, while Europeans might not get, get all up in arms about burials being found, try to put a hardware store where a bunch of stones were and <laughs> they're going to have your head. We'll talk about that in a minute. Welcome back to episode 221 of the archaeology show. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. That was like the most arrogant the in the entire world. <laughs> there was a lot wrapped up in that. <laughs> there was a lot. <laughs> All right. So there was a couple articles floating around, but it's about this thing we're going to talk about here. But it seemed like the original like press release on this was mm-hmm. from an outfit called France 24. So the mm-hmm. headline on that one is anger as prehistoric stones destroyed for a French DIY store. <laughs> and by the way, DIY store. I had to kind of like, what the hell is a DIY store? Yeah. I thought it was like a Hobby Lobby or something. Right. But it sounds like it's more like a Home Depot. Yeah. Okay. It's like a hardware store. Yeah, that makes it's sense. It's called Mr. Bricolage. That's a really fun name. Yeah, it's I know. Cute. <laughs> so it makes me think of, what was that? Uh, Selfridge? Oh, yeah. There that was, was a, a department store. But it was a real thing, wasn't it? I like it was an HBO show, but I think it was based on reality. That I can't say yeah, for sure. Yeah, I can't remember either. Yeah. But anyway. 
the meat of this is there were 7,000-year-old standing stones. We'll talk mm-hmm. about that. Destroyed to make way for this hardware store. Mm-hmm. There were 37 stones in total, uh, all about two feet and three feet in height. It said about a half a meter to, to a meter, so don't take me to task on that. I know two feet's more than half a meter, but it's yeah. close. Yeah. So... Anyway, three feet is about a meter. It's a yeah. Uh, it's just under. Yep. So anyway, they were destroyed for construction of this outlet. Um, now a lot of the information in some of these are coming from an amateur archaeologist who has a blog. Oh, that word amateur. I know. <laughs> you yeah. can't ever trust it. But okay, go yeah. on. His name is Christian <laughs> Oblitz. Uh huh. And he said the site was on the French national archaeological map since 2015, and it was also listed on the town's official list. Of local megaliths. First off, I want to live in a town that even has, has an a official f- yeah. list of local How megaliths. How many do they have? That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. The town is called Carnac, and it's in Brittany, a region of northwestern France. Okay. Okay, we'll get to that a little bit later. Yeah. The gentleman says that they, I don't know who they is, but somebody was planning to submit the site to France's Ministry of Culture in order to list it as a UNESCO World Heritage Site. This one in particular. Okay. Which, that's the only thing, if true... Kind of brings this into a little bit sharper focus because it does. Yeah, because here's the thing: this area, well, Karnak in particular, is famous for what they call men here, and that's what these standing stones are. Mm-hmm. That's the, like the name for like the single. Standing it's like the local stone, name, basically. yeah, like yeah. Amen here, yeah, M E N H I R. And there are three general alignments. I and mean, every time you talk about stones or things like that that aren't like, like a building, stones, yeah. yeah, it's generally an alignment. It yeah. doesn't even like in this country, it doesn't even have to be upright, right? Because we've seen stone alignments that oh, were just true. like a couple of alignments that might might point to a distant hill where there's a cairn or something. Yeah, good point. So anyway, they call them, and I don't know, there was no definition of what these mean, but Menek, uh, Kermario, and Kerleskin. Those are the three general alignments of these. Yeah. And that is the almost 40 stones that were destroyed created those three alignments, or there's many, many more stones than those were just part of? In general... The types of alignments that these could have in this entire area of France mm-hmm. are called these three things. Oh, I see. So there's yes. patterns that are common. Okay. Yeah. Got this it. one had its own particular alignment, which was one of those. In fact, I don't think they mention it. Okay. Okay. Uh, and that's just that's just a general piece of information for this area. Okay. Got yeah. it. So understood. And I guess according to again this guy who drives by there all the time because he lives in the area. He went by one day and they were there because he was concerned about it because they knew they were putting a department store there. Uh-huh. And he went by the next day and they were gone. Yeah. So the way he wrote it, a bulldozer came in in the middle of the night and covered it and cleared everything out. Yeah. Whether or not that's actually true, it doesn't yeah. say in the article. And the other thing, too, is that according to him, the stones that they took down wouldn't even have been under the building. They would have been behind it. And with a little bit of effort, they probably could have been preserved According to him, yeah, again. again. Why would he have that information, first off? Um, and second... Yeah. Well, they might have to publicly post, like, the, the, plans. the plans. Yeah, they yeah. might have to. Yeah. But, you know, the other thing is, too, like, I mean, there's a lot wrapped up in a building, depending on how big it is. They yeah. need to have drain-off areas. They mm-hmm. need to have storage. They need to have a parking lot. Dumpsters, all that kind of all stuff. All this kind of stuff. Yeah. And it, it just because it wasn't under the footprint of the building doesn't mean it wouldn't have been in danger. Mm-hmm. And, and it also doesn't mean they couldn't have avoided it and put up a fence. It is kind of shocking that they we're going to be that close to an ancient site. In this country, most construction will just avoid that stuff. They'll just move it a little bit this way or that way to not even have to involve themselves with it. You know, just like in segment two, I don't think that's easy in Europe. Maybe like lack of space (laughs) or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I think this stuff's all over the place. Yeah. True. Yeah. 
Yeah, just, either there's so much of it you can't avoid it or yeah. th- it's such a crowded area there's not a lot of space to move. Both those things I get. Now, the reason this might have been in the way uh, is because of the size of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the site itself was actually known as Chemin de Montauban. Mm-hmm. C-H-E-M-I-N de Montauban. Mm-hmm. And it included, and again, it doesn't say which one of those three alignment names this mm-hmm. is, but it included two intersecting rows of small granite stelae, and that's just granite standing stone. Another word for standing stone. Yeah. <laughs> uh, spread over 50 meters in length. That's over 150 feet. Uh-huh. One had been in the same place, one of the stones, they said, oh. and not moved by somebody prehistor- uh, historically. Uh-huh. And I, again, I'm not sure exactly how they know this. There are ways through, mm-hmm. I want to say... Not X-ray fluorescence. There's some other technique we talked about a oh, while back. Oh, we did with the soil right under you it. You look under it, yeah. and you can tell how long it's been since that soil yes. was exposed to light. Yep. Yeah. Yep, but totally. either way, I don't know if they did this, but yeah. apparently one of them, for through whatever means, had been in place for seven thousand years, which mm-hmm. is how they dated this. Mm-hmm. So, which means that I mean, some of them could have been in place longer. Who knows? Yeah. Right. I don't know if these were. I don't know if it was routine for these to be set up and then maybe reconfigured by people a couple hundred years later that are like, you know what? We don't like V's anymore. We're going to make an X. Yeah, totally. I mean, I can see people doing that. That makes sense. We don't support the V gods. We now support the Q gods and that's what we're going to make. So yeah, definitely. This site is one of the oldest sets of stones in Karnak. That's another thing that made it important Mm -hmm. to the local area. Mm -hmm. So there's about 3000 prehistoric standing stones in Brittany. Yeah. That were erected by pre-Celtic people. That's a lot. Yeah, that is That's a not lot. sites. That's total stones, the way they wrote the article. Okay. So, yeah, it, you know, this one had 37 of them. Yeah. Some, some may have had a lot more. Some may have had fewer. Who yeah. knows? That's still a so, lot, though. That's still a lot. Yeah. Yeah. There's also, in this area, stone tombs and burial mounds. And with those and then the standing stones, it's thought to be the largest collection of these type of things in the entire world. Like found together yeah. and probably associated. In highest in the highest yeah, density. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So for these types of things mm-hmm. in Brittany, in France. I'm just very surprised about this. Again, and, and our experience comes from CRM in this country where yeah. you, you can't really destroy a site without doing the proper excavation or whatever. And it makes me wonder if this person who, this guy Christian Oblitz, if he didn't know what was happening in the background, mm-hmm. maybe maybe they already did the excavation that they needed to do for this site and they had the permission to move forward with clearing it. Because that is something that happens. Like you excavate well, and then... And then the site has been documented. But it sounds like the site is the standing stones. You can't excavate those. They're on the ground. They're on the surface. No, but you can you can document it yeah. and say this has been documented fully and now right. it does not need to be preserved anymore. Which I don't think has happened. And no. the reason for that is, well, it, it may have, it was documented in the fact that it's listed on their, their historic registers uh-huh. or their, their megalithic registers, right? So right. it has been documented in some way. We do know that. Yeah. Whether or not this company that came in with the bulldozer was doing further documentation or was satisfied with that. I don't know, Mm. but the real thing to lead to your point that, uh, the end of this press release talks about is a a complaint has been lodged with the public prosecutor for willful destruction of sites that relate to archeological heritage. That's what Mm. they called it. And they say that the, in the complaint itself, they're not, they're not so much looking for punishment because it's been done already. Mm -hmm. Like they might find them of course, but you know, what do you do? Yeah. But the complaint is more to find out where the loopholes are that yeah, like, allowed this to happen. Like, how to begin did with. this happen? Yeah. They're like, we've got laws. Or <laughs> so again, I go to I go to my knowledge of CRM in this country and I'm yeah. like, is this one of those scenarios where they knew they weren't supposed to do it, but they took a look at 
the how much the fine would be yeah like was the fine not enough to stop them and they were like whatever we need this space we're gonna just bulldoze it and the fine isn't enough to stop us we'll take yeah. the fine and move on the development firm is like we're losing 50,000 a day not doing this and the yeah. fine is $40,000 yeah exactly you know, so. that that is definitely a possibility and we've seen that in this country too yeah. it, it for sure happens yeah I mean what could happen is if you do that too many times you lose permits yeah. to work at all yeah but like a one-off mm-hmm. they're not gonna do it yeah you know unless there's really really strict laws and you, you just don't see that even if they do it often like you know there's there's a lot of stuff in politics that goes into those kind of things so you grease the right wheels you know anyway that's that's crazy but it is the one last thing i'll say about that is yes they were just a pile of stones right Mm -hmm. and 50 years ago we would have looked at a pile of standing stones and been like that's great they've probably been there for a while but we don't have any way of dating it or knowing anything about it yeah but today we have all these technologies that can tell us more about those standing stones. Like you said, the one that looks mm-hmm. through the soil and sees how when the last time it was exposed to light was. And there could be future technologies coming that we don't know about yet that might tell us even more about these ancient sites. So destroying them really does like hurt my archaeology heart a little bit because yeah. you just don't know what is going to come in the future that might really enlighten the the archaeology world about what those things meant so i hate to see things destroyed like that i also understand progress and you have to be able to build in places i just wish there could be a happy medium and sounds like that's what this guy who is reporting the complaint also wishes to (laughs) yeah and that brings up the age-old question that we don't have a lot of time to talk about here is does everything need to be preserved that's true or is there a way to preserve it digitally you know in in a way that we just we can we can get rid of it it's so hard because we just don't know what we don't know you know yeah. so like if we yeah there's okay. so many more examples in this area mm-hmm. you know it's like decide what you want to do yeah you know and you know figure out how that's going to work so mm, yeah i don't know that's hard that's a it's hard, hard question for sure all right well to make up for the fact that we skipped an episode because we didn't have our recording equipment thanks american airlines for that <laughs> uh we're going to do a bonus segment yes and it's going to be about an armenian bakery yeah. with three thousand year old flour mm-hmm. so if you're a member of the archaeology podcast network head over to arcpodnet.com click on members and then click on uh well click on early downloads because bonus content associated with episodes are on that episode's page they're not yeah. in the bonus content page which is something i might change the name of later on yeah that's bonus content pages like for a full extra episode something that, not doesn't, related. that doesn't have a place to live yeah, exactly. these ones have a place to live with the rest of the episode yeah this is in the early downloads area so you see the file for the full episode and then you'll see the player down there for the bonus segment as well right. if you're not a member of the archaeology podcast network and you've got an extra six or seven bucks a month to spend if you buy annually that's what it costs then head over to arcpodnet.com forward slash members and you can join us and get all of our past bonus content, our past extra content and and episodes and our past live events and videos Mm -hmm. that we've done. Like, for example, we just did a cultural share event on the archaeology of motherhood Mm -hmm. and really parenting in general, too. Mm -hmm. That was really cool. Had some really good speakers and presenters on that. And that is available to watch anytime you want on your member pages. Mm -hmm. So uh, and we have another one coming up 
that I think is shaping up to be underwater archaeology. Ooh, yeah. exciting. So, and I think that's going to be in August. Cool. So we haven't quite nailed that one down yet, but yep. anyway, that's coming up in the future. So check that out, arcpodnet.com forward slash members. And one more thing, if you want to keep these podcasts coming and keep the network going, take a look down at your device that you're listening to this on and take a look at our sponsors and affiliates at the bottom of the page. Mm-hmm. I'm incredibly excited about motion which is the first one listed but we have three others listed down there as well that are also providing some good things that we've looked at so Mm -hmm. uh, all of it if you purchase stuff helps us keep the network going yep and keep everything free for sure so all right with that we're going to go record the bonus segment so thanks again for the members that are allowing us to do that and again arcpodnet.com forward slash members if you're not a member we'll see you next week bye Thanks for listening to The Archaeology Show. Feel free to comment and view the show notes on the website at www.arcpodnet.com. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at ArcPodNet. Music for this show is called I Wish You Would Look from the band Sea Hero. Again, thanks for listening and have an awesome day. This episode was produced by Chris Webster from his RV traveling the United States, Tristan Boyle in Scotland, Dig Tech LLC, Cultural Media, and the Archaeology Podcast Network, and was edited by Chris Webster. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com.